Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction and read it to you. And the only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will, too. You know, I love a good transporter story. I mean, the transporter is such an enduring and iconic part of Star Trek. Now, you Trekkies out there listening might know this already, but the transporter that allowed the crew to beam from place to place did not come from some grand, romantic, creative vision. It actually came from an astoundingly practical place. The, the Enterprise was this giant ship warping through space, and visually creating the landing of the ship <laughs> would have blown the whole budget. And, you know, we didn't have CGI in the 60s for the original series. And not to mention that it would take a lot of time to show the ship landing and then everybody deboarding. So the transporter was born in Star Trek lore and ensured that the ship would never need to land. The transporter could quickly beam you up or onto the surface of a new planet. Well, today I'm reading a story that involves transporters written by an author who has a self-described love affair with them. The author's name is Sean Williams, and he's an award-winning, number one New York Times best-selling author of over 40 novels and 120 short stories for adults, young adults, and children, many of which feature his beloved matter transmitters. This man is a matter transmitter writing monster. His recent books include Impossible Music, An Emotional Journey Through Disability to New Hope, and Twin Maker, which shares a world with the story that we're reading today. It's called Face Value, and it tackles matter transmitters and fabricators, which have changed the way society and the economy function, and the way humans work and live and maintain civility. This story has also got a great Poirot vibe to it, which is very fun for me, because I love Poirot. Who doesn't? So, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. Ah. 
And begin. Face Value by Sean Williams. News of the disappearance of inventor Felix Frey spread through the air with electric ease. It was exactly the kind of distraction I needed. There are only so many quaint old thefts and counterfeit scams I can pluck from policing archives while my girlfriend Billy works in her studio, adjusting facial nerves, muscles, and skin cells to fit her clients' desires. I seized the unfolding news thread and followed the distraction it promised back to the source. Frey tinkered on the fringe of many fields, laboring until recently in abject obscurity. Two days earlier, he had announced a breakthrough that threatened to overturn society as radically as the matter transmitter had two generations ago. Or rather, he had announced the announcement of a breakthrough. In 48 hours, he said he intended to provide a proof-of-concept demonstration live to the air so all could see the wonder of what he had wrought. His hyperbole had gained little traction at first, but now, with his disappearance just hours before the planned demonstration, everything he had said took on a whole new significance. Even in the midst of a crisis, Frey was a flamboyant self-promoter. His last missive before vanishing off the face of the earth was, They have come for me as I knew they would. Then a bump came for me from the inspector. I honestly can't say that I expected it, but hope springs eternal in my peacekeeper breast. Does the name Felix Frey mean anything to you, PK Sergeant? He asked. I'm following the story now. They're saying he's been kidnapped. In a manner of speaking, I arrested him this morning. That was unexpected. What did he do? I don't honestly know. Yet. Ah. This was going to be an interesting one. I'll be there in two shakes, Inspector. You really mustn't call me that. Tell me what I should call you then. Peacekeepers keep the peace. They don't arrest people before they've done anything wrong. He had no reply to that, or if he did, he chose not to share it with me. I left Billy a quick message to apologize for leaving, hurried to the booth nearest her studio, and was in Cambridge two minutes later. I never understood the benefit of Peacekeeper HQ finding a new home every week. Wherever, it looked the same, and it was full of the same people, too, thanks to DMAT. Only the air changed. In Cambridge, the air smelled of the wash and sounded like gulls. I had a sudden hunger for fish fingers, but resisted the urge to order some from a faber on the way. 
Felix Frey was in suite five, sitting opposite the inspector. He was much smaller than he appeared in the air and older with it, sporting an old-fashioned suit and bushy mustache and hair that was thinning at the crown. Lines radiated like cracks from the corner of his eyes. He projected a restless, fidgety energy from the tips of his tapping fingers to the shuffling dances of his shoes. Like a stage magician, he didn't benefit from close examination. Frey glanced up as I entered the suite and kept on looking up, right up to my face. Who is this now? he asked. Do you plan to beat the secret out of me? On the contrary, said the inspector. P.K. Sargent is an admirer of yours. She's come to witness your demonstration. I didn't know anything of the sort. Working out what the inspector wanted me for was half the fun. I told you, Frey said. I, I cannot show you anything here. I understand perfectly. We will relocate to your laboratories. Just the three of us. Frey froze in the act of standing as though sensing a trap, or perhaps the exact opposite, an opportunity. For an instant, he was completely still. My announcement. I will record what transpires for posterity. You may release it afterward, if you wish. Don't think to do me any favors, P.K. Forrest. The future would not be kind to you. The inspector betrayed not the slightest uncertainty. That would have been impossible, even if he felt any. His face was literally a mask, frozen from birth by Mobius Syndrome. Only with conscious effort could he display any emotion at all. Let's worry about the future when it's closer to being the past, he deadpanned, indicating that I should go first and the inventor walk between us. I did as I was told, feeling as though I was intruding on a long and bitter conversation. The home of the mysterious invention was in Brunei, where dusk cast everything in muted tones. Felix Frey owned a private booth, so we stepped directly from the bright mirrored interior into a space that looked less like a laboratory than a disorganized open-plan living room. Couches and tabletops heavily laden with paper notebooks and curious artifacts stood in higgledy-piggledy fashion under a high, raftered ceiling. The walls were louvered on three sides, allowing what breeze there was to mingle with the air within. Mosquitoes wandered freely. I dialed up my antihistamine levels and fought the urge to slap. From outside came a much more insistent buzzing sound. Drones, the eyes of the air, seeking a closer view. What are we doing here? I bumped the inspector as Frey practically danced across the room, scattering and clattering in his haste to prove how clever he was. I received an anonymous tip-off that Frey is planning to destabilize the One Earth government. Seriously? 
So how will letting him do this help? Showing us is the same as showing the world in the end. It makes a difference that we are here, he sent back. We represent the status quo upon which war has been declared. To battle honorably, one must look one's enemy in the eye. A loud crash cut off our surreptitious conversation. Frey had knocked over a heavily loaded stool while bearing a large boxy faber in both arms toward us. Clear that table, he instructed, pointing with his chin. I complied, taking more care than I possibly needed to. Frey's scribblings were illegible both to my eyes and to my lenses, and the artifacts looked like nothing so much as burned tree roots. Failed experiments, perhaps. The fundamental reality of our economy, thanks to DMAT, the inventor lectured us as he plugged the faber into a power outlet and warmed it up, is that any material thing, except for people, can be copied into the air and recreated at will ad infinitum. Some would have it that we are thus liberated from wage slavery and scarcity, but I believe that we remain as trapped as ever. Trapped by rampant consumption fueled by limitless supply. The machine beeped in readiness. Frey opened it and invited us to look inside. This is a standard fabricator he said, using the old-fashioned term that my great-aunt preferred. Please observe that the operation seals are intact and that it is disconnected from any form of data transmission, yes? I assured him that this certainly did seem to be the case. He scampered off again, bent low into a wooden chest, and returned with a narrow ingot of silvery metal in the palms of his outstretched hands. Take this, he said to me. The metal was cool to the touch, and when I hefted it, surprisingly light. Do you recognize it? he asked. No, I said. If I'd known there was going to be a quiz, I would have brushed up on my chemistry. You have already passed, Frey beamed at me. The element is entirely novel. I am the first to isolate it and hence to comprehend its peculiar nature. Which is... My prompting foreshortened any further boasting. Place it into the fabricator, he said, ushering me forward. Thus and so, please... Now close the door and instruct the machine to scan its contents. I pushed the necessary buttons, then stepped back to watch. The faber whirred to itself for a moment, then it beeped and the door opened. Frey gestured for me to look inside. The faber was empty. Where did it go? I asked. Frey winked but didn't answer the question. Now, ask the fabricator to make you a copy of the ingot it just scanned. Puzzled, I shut the door and did as I was told. 
After another minute's wait, the machine beeped once more. Inside, nothing but the merest wisp of vapor. Frey watched me, with his hands folded in front of him, radiating an air of deliberate understatement. Like a conjurer announcing his coup de grace, he said, I have discovered a material that cannot be scanned or copied. I wasn't going to supply the applause because I genuinely didn't see what the fuss was about. What's the point of that? Something that can't be dematted is about as useful as... as... I struggled to find a suitable simile. Coals to Newcastle? An icebox in Antarctica? Bandages on a mummy? Useful as money, supplied the inspector, only he wasn't agreeing with me. Exactly, said Frey with a gracious inclination of his head. I have reinvented money. What? I said. Why? I felt as shocked as if someone had announced the return of internal combustion engines or AIDS. Think about it, P.K. Sergeant. Frey's lecturing tone resumed. Humans are by nature creators and traders. Language, society, economy, laws, all exist because of our evolved capacity to pool invention. We drive to better the world around us and, in the process, better ourselves. But some inventions are more dangerous than others, and the faber is the most dangerous of all. It gives us everything we desire, allowing the infinite replication of anything we want. It should unfetter our innate creativity, making inventors of us all. But how do we really use it? He placed both hands atop the boxy machine as though speaking from a lectern. We endlessly propagate the familiar... Why make something better when something good enough already exists? There is no incentive to innovate because nothing, including novelty, has any value anymore. Newness is steadily drowning under sameness. Abundance has eroded our sense of value until all things are equally worthless. Uh... And money fits in where exactly? I prompted him again. That which cannot be reproduced in a faber is, by definition, a scarce resource. He said with saintly patience. Scarcity begets value. Value provokes desire. Desire motivates creation. Creation undoes stagnation. Just like that? You think me naive. His attitude only grew more self-assured. The irony pleases me. I have named my discovery jejunium, after the Latin for hunger. Like paper notes or electronic data in the past, it will be a symbolic representation of what we truly value. I glanced at the inspector wanting him to put the crazy man straight. The world wasn't drowning in crap just because we could make anything we wanted. 
If anything, there was less crap, since what a faber made it could also recycle. Archaeologists would be sifting through the rubbish heaps of the 20th century for centuries to come. Did Frey really want us to go down that path again? Tell me more about the material, the inspector said. Jejunium. Yes, you called it an element, not a compound or an alloy. But I thought there were no elements left to discover. It took physicists 150 years, Frey said, to advance from Rutherford's confirmation of the nucleus to the invention of the fabricator. What have we achieved since then? Mere cataloging. The element I have discovered is indeed new to science, and the details of its creation must remain secret, or else its value will be eroded. So, you alone intend to control the means of production, said the inspector, strolling among the scattered tables and chairs. He always walked when he thought. Have you anticipated global demand? Can you make enough to meet it? I have secured a reliable means of manufacture. Restrained, of course. One wouldn't want to flood the market. Indeed not. May I see another sample? Frey left his podium and rummaged in the chest. You seem unconcerned by security, the inspector said as he took possession of a second ingot, identical to the first. The box was presumably full of them. Do you have provisions in mind for when this material is revealed to the world? When? I scowled. Surely the inspector wasn't taking Frey seriously. Naturally, I have, the inventor said, looking pleased. I have also devised a system of denominations and exchanges for when the first transactions occur. And I will ask the public for designs to ensure the coins have cachet beyond their material value. I intended to announce these measures after the initial unveiling, which I hope to proceed with now. You have seen my demonstration and heard my argument. You have any objections? The inspector considered the ingot impassively for a moment, moving not a muscle, not a hair. Then he raised his gaze to look at me. What do you think? P.K. Sergeant, I think he's crazy, I said without hesitation. You believe his claims lack substance? No, I just don't think we need money, or banks, or taxes, or loan sharks, or inflation, or any of the other nonsense that goes with it. Is that your only objection? Well, yes, it's a pretty big one. But our friend here is not actually breaking the law, since making one's own currency is no longer a criminal offense. He stopped and tapped his chin with the index finger of his right hand. I am wondering now if I made a mistake. The tip-off I received was unmistakably a warning, but perhaps not to me. Perhaps I should have taken Mr. Frey into protective custody rather than place him under arrest. Perhaps you should have. 
For some time, I have anticipated an attack like this. I have many competitors, not to mention enemies in the One Earth Administration. I can see why. The inspector said, waving the ingot in one hand. Very well. I see no reason to prevent you from announcing your discovery to the world at large. I will release the recording and allow you to broadcast live from now on. The inventor fairly capered with delight, while I could only glare at the inspector even harder. First, opening himself up to criticism, then practically admitting that he was wrong? What next? Retirement? To pursue a life of chartered accounting in Frey's brave new old world? But while I was eyeballing the inspector, something very strange happened. His face changed. It was a subtle thing, little more than a tilt of the head, so his left eye came forward slightly, and a slight widening of both eyes, all while staring unblinkingly back at me. I raised my eyebrows questioningly, and he did it again, turning slightly so it wouldn't be so obvious to Frey, who was fussing about with his faber. It was a nod, with emphasis and encouragement. Go on, he was telling me. Go on. Go on what, I wanted to say, but didn't. When a man with a frozen face makes an expression like that, it's up to me to work out what it means. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire. Michelle Obama, to reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. 
Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bell one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 1231.24. Excludes tax must update to rewards. Now, let's get back to our story. Now, I may not be the brightest spark in the campfire, but I am very tall. I spend all of my time looking down at short people, looking up at me. I don't think of it as a strength. You could even say it's a disability, sometimes. It's certainly something that I've had to find ways to accommodate, physically and psychologically. I imagine it's the same as if you lost your legs, say. You'd spend every waking moment thinking about how to cope while watching people who still have legs go about their business so easily. Because you'd be bitter, at least I would be, and you'd be imagining what life would be like were circumstances otherwise. Which leads me to the inspector. Born with a face that doesn't work, he's been at a disadvantage his entire life, at least until he met Billy, my face-sculpting girlfriend. Having to strain to hold his own in nonverbal exchanges explains why he's so good at inspecting. He has to work so hard to open the book of his own face that he can understand ours more easily than we can. When it came to Frey, well, the inspector knew I thought the man was full of nonsense. I had said as much, with vocal cords and everything. What I hadn't said to the inspector was how disappointed I was in him. You don't arrest someone without a reason, not normally, and even if you do, you don't cave in and admit it so easily. You trust your instincts and pursue the case as far as you possibly can. You certainly don't admit your mistakes in public. That's just tedious for everyone. All this was going through my mind at that moment, and it was written on my face in ways that the inspector could read perfectly well. Go on. Tell me. That's what his expression was telling me. Go ahead and say it. All right, I thought, if you really want me to. This is pointless. My voice echoed harshly in the cluttered room. Pardon? the inspector said. You heard me, I wanted to say, but he gave me the nod again, so I repeated what I had said, adding a little more into the bargain since he wanted it so badly. This is completely pointless. I don't understand why we're here. Well, he said, the successful reintroduction of money would fundamentally destabilize society. You don't really think anyone's actually going to use it, do you? Everything we want will still come out of a faber. It will still be free. But what about original ideas? Asked Frey. What about things that cannot come from a fabricator because they don't exist yet? Yeah, yeah, I said. Like your fancy metal. And who paid you to make that? No one. You did it because you wanted to do it. The inspector tapped his teeth with the tip of his right index finger. P.K. Sergeant has an interesting point, he said. 
What motivated you to make the attempt in the first place? Since there exists no guarantee that any invention will find an eager reception. I believe you are familiar with how it feels to have your work rejected. Frey flushed a deep crimson. The world's appetite for novelty has been stunted by a diet of homogeneity. Whether that is so or not, the question remains. What drives anyone to invent in a culture that can create in a moment's notice everything it thinks it desires? If not money, then... Frey knew the answer, but he wasn't ready to admit it. Old people like him often aren't. Fame, I said. Yes, said the inspector, snapping his fingers as though I had just given him a profound revelation. Yes, indeed. Fame, popularity, notoriety, call it what you will. Being noticed is something you can't make in a faber. When someone is watching a football game, they can't be watching you, Mr. Frey. Could this be why we're really here? Why those drones are buzzing around outside? Could this jejunium of yours be less about shaking up the world than making you a more prominent part of it as it is? What you're suggesting is preposterous. Frey spluttered with high indignation. Is it? I said, joining the game. I liked where this was going. I bet it was you who placed that anonymous warning. Getting yourself arrested by the PKs is a sure way to make people pay attention. Well, it worked. We noticed, Mr. Frey, only we're not idiots. It's not our job to make you look better. But the medal, he said in growing desperation. How do you explain that? There you must have shown true ingenuity, the inspector allowed him. Some substances, by law, cannot be fabricated. Poisons, for instance, or radioactive materials. Perhaps you used one of these, suspended in a lightweight, transparent material of novel design, to make it seem completely solid. An aerogel, say, that reacts on contact with the air. When each ingot is scanned, the faber omits the offensive material, leaving the aerogel behind. The aerogel decrepitates into smoke on contact with the air. We saw it in the second instance, the merest puff, but enough to give the game away. He waggled the ingot Frey had given him like a scolding finger. Clever. And likely to survive a cursory examination. Hardly revolutionary, though. Radioactive, you say? I stared worriedly at my hands where they had touched the ingot. Or poisonous. The inspector tossed it with a metallic thunk onto the nearest table. Perhaps I was right to arrest you after all, Mr. Frey. Endangering the life of a peacekeeper is a serious crime. That broke him. It's not dangerous, I swear, he said, physically sagging. Even his mustache drooped. The metal is a stable isotope of element 142, which is normally highly unstable. That I discovered. Aerogel I found in an old materials archive. 
The inspector nodded. You're not so venal as to poison anyone to achieve your ends, then. That will serve you in good stead when your case comes before the consensus court. Frey looked startled. Uh, You're still arresting me? What for? You said yourself that creating money isn't illegal. It's not about the money. You attempted to perpetrate a fraud on the scientific community. The inspector's expression became very stern. Besides, fame isn't the only resource we can't fabricate. There's one other. We may spend it freely every moment of every day, but once it's gone, we can never get it back. Time, I guessed. Exactly, PK Sergeant. Mr. Frey, you invested a lot of your own in devising this scheme, and now you have wasted entirely too much of mine. The inspector took the inventor's arm and guided him firmly back to the DMAT booth. I followed, thinking hard about everything I had just witnessed, everything that was even now spreading out into the air. The booth's door slid shut, surrounding us with an infinitude of reflections. In all of them, I was visibly biting my tongue. The booth's lights flashed. Justice had been served, I thought, on every front but one. You lied to me, I accused the inspector as we left the now infamous fray in the hands of the court. Here there were no drones, and the inspector had stopped recording. What do you mean? He asked with an innocence I had learned to distrust. You know exactly what I mean. You called me to tell me that you'd arrested Frey without knowing what he'd done yet. It was either then or when you gave that little speech about defrauding the scientific community. That face you pulled was for everyone else's benefit, not yours. So which was it? Did you know what Frey was up to before we arrived? Or did you only work it out after? He spared us both the indignity of prevarication. After? And that business about this being a war, how our enemy has to be faced without delay? Frey is a media-hungry kook who's no enemy of anyone except himself. You can't have been talking about him. Precisely. I was talking about the person out there who is at this very moment working on the real thing. By which you don't mean money. No. So why didn't you tell me? I knew you would correctly apprehend the severity of the situation. That was his way of saying I was right, but that he wasn't necessarily wrong, either. I had worked out some of it on the way back to HQ. The rest of it fell quickly into place. Reinventing money is the least of our worries where a material that can't be fabricated is concerned. An assassin might use a jejunium gun as a murder weapon, safe in the knowledge that it will vanish during her escape. Giving someone an artificial heart made of unfathomable material would guarantee that the recipient could never travel by DMAT again. Industrial prototypes could be sabotaged by adding a small amount of the material that would render the copying process incomplete, putting buildings and even satellites at risk. 
The possibilities are terrifying to imagine and far too sensitive to preserve in the recording of what happened in Frey's laboratory. Hence, the inspector's odd charade and meaningful glances. I am a peacekeeper, like you, he explained. I invited you to join me today as the voice of the status quo. You performed that role perfectly. Frey turned out to be guilty of dignifying a dangerous idea for which he will be mildly punished. The world is better off thinking that any material like jejunium is the province of dreamers and madmen. It is, right? I asked him. Not possible, I mean. He glanced at me sideways, but said nothing. Keeping me on my toes, I guess. And fair enough, too. I felt slightly foolish for trying so hard to spot Frey's sleight of hand that I'd nearly missed the trick the real illusionist in the room was pulling. We stopped at a line of DMAT booths. I checked the time and realized that barely an hour had passed. If I hurried, I might get home before Billy even realized I had gone. Well, okay. It's been illuminating, as always. But next time you want an assistant for one of your little performances, at least give me notice so I can get out my spangly tights. He made a sound that might have been a cough. You own such things? I do. From when I took ballet classes as a kid. I was three feet shorter then, so take that as a warning. He coughed again, and I realized that he was laughing. His face simply hadn't caught up yet. I left him and hurried off to Billy, wondering if we were the only people in the world to catch a glimpse of what lay behind the inspector's mask. Here's why I, I'm drawn to this story. First, I, I always love a, a, a good, you know, sort of look into the not-so-far-ahead future, right? Um, you know, the world of Star Trek is, you know, it's a little bit further ahead than the not-so-distant future. That's the distant future, right? The 24th century. We got, a, we got a little while before we get there. None of us will make it to the time of Star Trek. But here's a look at sort of a near, a, 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 a future that's nearer to us where we have made an amazing advance. We can replicate anything we so choose with these fabbers, a fabricator, right? And now we can almost do that now. Right, we are we are 3D printing houses, for God's sake. But taken a step further, that's that's where the imagination comes in, and and Williams posits a world where, because we can replicate everything, everything has the same amount of value. So there's no need for money, right? 
So the valuable thing is something that cannot be fabricated or duplicated. And of course, those things always turn out to be intrinsics, right? Time, uh, youth, beauty, patience. These are things that, that you can't put into a machine and clone. These are, this is what the human element is all about. Our imagination, our capacities for both love and compassion and death and destruction, right? These are the things that make us human. The other thing I like about this story is the tone. Well, you don't often get sort of um, potboiler tone in speculative fiction. I mean, it's it, there are examples, but this one particularly struck my fancy because um, not only is it is it sort of Marlowe-esque um, or or even Poirot, um, our our narrator is is this tall woman cop with a real dry sense of humor um which is rare in 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 no detective caper i've read recently has the detective been a woman and i loved that Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is the best in the business, Julia Smith, with associate producer credits going to Kristen Torres. Our editing and sound design today by Adam Dybert. And my thanks today to Sean Williams, the author of this tale. If you liked it as much as I did, then go check out Twin Maker, his novel that is set in this same world. Or you can find his recent book, Impossible Music, An Emotional Journey Through Disability to New Hope. And hey, can I suggest something to you all? If you like the show, I'm thinking you may know someone else who might enjoy it. So why not recommend an episode to a friend? And while you're at it, why not also leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts? And why not include a story suggestion for us? We read them and we use them. We'll be back next week with another hand-picked story. Or if you can't wait that long, well, you can indulge in the next episode right now. And also exclusive bonus author interviews all on Stitcher Premium. Each story goes up one week early and it's ad-free. Just go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar or if you're listening in Stitcher, just tap the menu button in your app and select Premium for one month free. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our supervising producer is Josephine Marjorana. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon and yours truly, LeVar Burton. I'm LeVar Burton, and you can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. Still waiting for that guy to give me my name back. I'll stop complaining and see you next time. But you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. 
Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Here you are. BPM's high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 